Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and a couple of weeks ago I took a trip to West London to meet Diana Yates and visit her beautiful garden at Greenfields. Diana tells me all about how she came to live here and how, in recent years, a new gardening hobby has led her to a different career for her in broadcasting and now as an author of her first book, Growing at Greenfields. Diana shares her passion for growing flowers, fruit, veg and more and the labour of love has been creating an idyllic kitchen garden. She offers listeners some advice around what you should be sowing at this time of year and how to manage the hectic schedule of a flourishing garden. So if you're looking for jobs for now, sow some purple sprout and broccoli and that will do you through the hungry gap next year. The hungry gap they say in the sort of gardening world is like sort of March, April, May when nothing else is growing. So if you start them off now, purple sprout and broccoli will be ready then. And then I'm going to do Brussels sprouts for Christmas and because I don't eat them any other time of the year <laughs> and uh, cauliflower as well. And they'll all go in here. Some may say that Scran is experiencing an identity crisis today as this could potentially be a gardening show as well as a food and drink one but you're in for a real treat with this episode as Diana candidly shares her life story and how the challenges she has faced inform her success as a gardener, author, broadcaster, seamstress, mother and more. I'm sitting in the sunshine in the garden at Greenfields in West Linton, which is Diana Yates' house and garden. Diana, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. It's so nice to be outside in this weather. Um, if it, just in case anyone can hear any noise in the background, that's just uh, country life. Like we've got some grass being cut or something being trimmed. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so can you, we're sitting in your kitchen garden, so could you just tell us a bit about what we can see here? Um, okay, so we're in my favourite bit of the garden. This is a nine by nine kitchen garden. I've got raised beds. At the moment, we have tulips that are just going over. Um, I've got some garlic and broad beans. All the beds are pretty much full now. We've got courgettes out, cabbage, peas and tomatoes in the greenhouse. So yeah, that's pretty much what we have here. And did you did you create this yourself or was it already here when you got here? So the hedge was here. We were very lucky to inherit the hedge because it's well established. It's the perfect windbreak for the garden. Um, but nothing else was here. So it was bare soil. And um, yeah, we just decided this would be the perfect spot to try gardening. Well, for me to try my hand at gardening. I'd never done anything like that before. Um, and I thought if I muck it all up I can just shut the gate and pretend it's not there <laughs> try again the next year so yeah that's what we did um, and this might be a bit of a daft question but is it is this the best way to grow these types of things in these ra- raised beds so you've got like wooden kind of boxes yeah. with like soil is that the best thing to do well no such thing as a daft question <laughs> um it really does depend on your garden the position and the type of soil that you have I chose raised beds just because um, I like the look of it. I think it's quite smart. Um, and also you can determine exactly what's going into the bed soil-wise. If you um, garden somewhere that's maybe all clay or you just have really poor soil, you can determine you know, how nutrient-rich your soil is going to be. So I just used um, a third compost, a third well-rotted manure and a third topsoil as my sort of starting point. And um, yeah, I mean, you can grow in the ground, you can grow in anything, anything. We, My husband built that sort of out of stones that were lying around the garden. He built sort of a bed and I just filled it up with compost and we're growing in that. Um, we have a galvanised trough there 
that we picked up and I've got currently, what do I have in there? Poppies and uh, anemones growing in there. So anything can be a growing container really. Nice. So yeah, you've got some flowers and some like actual things to eat. Is that quite a good idea to mix both? So I've only done that the past couple of years. And um, veg is my main passion. I love growing veg. My uh, initial thought was I wanted to grow enough to feed our family of five when we moved in. Um, but as time's gone on, I've sort of just been drawn more to the colour and to having flowers in the garden as well. So I kind of, because we've got a really long spring in Scotland and it's quite cold for a long period of time, things like tulips do really well. And it feels like such a treat to have tulips in a border that I can just cut and bring into the house. And whatever I don't cut, um, so what I do cut will go in the compost, but what I don't cut, I'll try and plant out and see if they come back. They're not that perennial here, the types that I have, um, but you can always try. You never know, some of them might return. And then things like ranunculus and anemones and sweet peas, um, I've added to the garden for the first time, no, second time in this space. And I loved them so much last year. I thought I won't be without them now. I'll keep putting them back in. But yeah, I'm just kind of drawn now to making it a mix of both and seeing how I get on. So people might recognise your voice, at least from the Beach Grove Garden. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about how you kind of got into that? Yeah, so uh, that was the power of social media. I have an Instagram account and one of the researchers reached out to me on there. It was the Beach Grove segment that they had during COVID, I think it was. And um, my husband and I had actually been going through a really difficult time and we thought, why not? Just something to distract us and take our minds off the nightmare that was our lives at that time and um, he was a cameraman and you know kind of just filming little segments from the garden and it just kind of went on from there and then they asked me to come back the following year and then this year to do a more of a main presenter role for this series so it's so much fun and just getting to go up there because I work from home so just getting those odd days out of the house and going up to Aberdeen to film at the garden there is just brilliant absolutely brilliant. Nice. And have you always been a keen gardener? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Before we moved here, I don't think I'd grown anything since primary school. Do you remember at school you grow um, watercress or like a bean plant or yeah. something like that? I think that was my last foray into gardening and I was probably like seven. Um, but when we moved here, I didn't actually want to garden when we moved here either. Um, I was actually hoping I'd find someone else to do it because it was really overwhelming. This garden isn't small. But then that autumn, the first autumn we were here, we were out in the garden. Um, my little boy was the outdoors boy and uh, we were raking up all the leaves and he had a rugby ball about and the girls were there and we were, had a campfire going and we kind of raked up all of the leaves in the front lawn. It takes us maybe about six hours. And at the end of it, I just remember feeling like so at peace and so chilled and so exhausted. But I just wanted to kind of repeat that feeling and have it as much as possible. And then from there... I just started Googling, really, and just finding out about what you could grow in Scotland. You know, did I have a hope, you know, just to grow anything? And um, found a sort of community by starting a, a little blog and an Instagram page just so I could sort of track my progress and find, like, like-minded people. And then it just became an obsession. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so that gives people hope because I'm terrible. Like, I've, like I said, I've never gardened. I live in a, live in a block of flats. And yeah, I just think if I ever do end up with a garden, I'm going to be terrible, but you, no, you give me hope. <laughs> I think it's like anything, you just don't know. I mean, everyone has the first time of doing something and you never know unless you try and 
all the tools are there now. Education isn't what it used to be. You know, there's no sort of formal path to anything anymore. I mean, I, I haven't had, I haven't done any horticultural courses or anything like that. I learned through experience, mostly. You learn the best from mistakes, I think, because you won't make it again, because it will cost you money and really you want success in the garden. And then I learned through community, um, just speaking to people, finding out what they grow, what does well and getting tips online or just try it you, you never know you could be like the next who Alan Touchmarsh there you go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alan Touchmarsh <laughs> yeah <laughs> you moved back to Scotland so what, what what was your sort of trajectory to this point okay so um I'd moved to South Africa for 10 years before um when my little girls were quite small and my husband and I both worked for the same company and we did that for 10 years non-stop it was a start-up when we moved and it was madness I loved my job absolutely loved it and at that point I was really career focused and by the end of the 10 years I was pretty burnt out um it was 12 hour days and it was non-stop uh, and it was just I just kind of hit a wall and I felt it was time to go home and the girls were getting to that point as well that uh, secondary school was approaching and I wanted them to experience life in Scotland we lived in Johannesburg and it is absolutely beautiful but it isn't the safest so everything they were doing was door to door and so they had no street savvy at all you know they'd never been on a bus you know there was no sort of separation for them no independence and they were getting at that to that age where they really needed that so we moved back and I sent the three of them off to school uh, in Edinburgh and um, they, they just kind of flourished and it was amazing and before that we actually had a brief stint in Oxford we spent two years there and again, it was magic, absolutely magic. But there was like a calling to go home. Um, and that's sort of how we ended up back here. And uh, it took me quite a while, actually. I think I was properly burnt out for about two years. I just needed to kind of decompress. And when we moved into this house, I was so agitated for, it probably took me a year to chill out. There was no easiness. There was no fast food delivery service. There was no just nipping to the shops. Everything was a planned journey. And I needed to, my husband as well, we, we both needed to chill out. And I think um, gardening has helped me with that as well. I'm just a completely different person now. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds like we could all do a bit of that, to be honest. <laughs> you have a book out. Yes. How did you go from this kind of corporate world to writing a book? It's all a little bit hazy. <laughs> so when we moved here, it was probably just before COVID that I was made redundant. So was my husband. The company that we worked for went under. And um, then it was just, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And just before that, a couple of months before that, I had started sewing. We bought this house and I thought, you know, I'm going to either pay someone to make all these curtains or I'm just going to try and do it myself. I uh, followed like YouTube tutorials and things like that and learned how to make curtains, basically. And started a little Etsy shop just to test if anything that I was making was any good. And it sort of just kind of spiralled for there. And I started my own business making soft furnishings. Then from there, with that and then into gardening, I was just trying to make a new sort of life for myself. And gardening was always a hobby. There was I was never intending to do anything with it. But after probably about six months after Beech Grove, I was reached out to by a publishing house. And they asked me if I would write about my journey to Greenfields and then sort of follow a year with me in the garden, sort of growing, harvesting, cooking and storing produce. So I thought, why not? Why not? We had been through 
really, really uh, traumatic times. We lost our son during the first lockdown uh, in a freak accident and like life will never be the same again. Um, but he was um, a real yes boy. He said yes to everything. He was always like full of energy and full of life. And I thought I need to live my life like that sort of to honour him and also just to make the most of it because you just never know what's going to happen. And I said, I said yes, why not? I'll, I'll write this book. And it sort of just spiralled from there, really. Gardening would kind of give me stability in when I had no job. It was something to get out of bed to do every day. It sort of pulled me out of bed when I was going through the worst of grief. And even now, some days, it's just a thing that I think, well, I'll just go out and open the greenhouse and I'll just go water something and or I'll pot something on. And the next thing I look up and it's it's lunchtime. You know, I might not go out of, out of my pyjamas, but I'm up and I'm in the garden and I'm I'm doing something. And now, you know, suddenly it's given me sort of a new sort of semi-career as well. So it's, it's just um, sort of changed my life. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that with us, Dan. I'm really sorry to hear. We are going to have a little look at what you're growing now. So yes. go for a little walk. Okay. Diana and I took a stroll into her greenhouse where there were lots of plants in bloom, much like outside. It's been a busy old spring for me, so I have a little less going on than, than usual, but um, I've got chilies. I'm going to actually pick up some more as seedlings. I don't think there's any shame in that. I, I grow majority of everything from seed, but if it's failed or, I don't know, I want extra crops, I will go to the nursery and pick up seedlings. So here I've got tomatoes and I always plant marigold in the pot with them, which I think uh, some people have said to me that's a little bit strange, but they are like the perfect aphid attractors. So it's a, like a sacrificial flower and it keeps the plant clean. So that's a really handy hint. Even if you've got like a small space, just pop a marigold in beside your tomatoes and they'll stay happy. For anyone that doesn't know, what is an aphid? It's like a little green fly and you'll see it up the stem of the tomatoes and they basically suck the life out of your plants. So <laughs> anything you can do to get rid of them is good. But let's maybe get out of here before we all melt. <laughs> so is your greenhouse a lot busier in the winter than it is in the summer? Actually, no, because I don't generally start things off in the autumn. I know quite a lot of people do, but I actually like to put the garden to rest over the winter and just let everything be. And I also rest as well. I start everything off in the spring. So it's jam-packed from about March to May until everything can go out. And I start off quite a bit in the house as well. We are like 850 feet above sea level. So it, everything is slow in my garden to, to break dormancy. So I start off quite a bit in the house and I've got like a little grow light set up for my chilies and my tomatoes and that's really where I make my season start and get the most from it as possible. The tomatoes actually started off in February and that's probably the earliest I've started them but I already have some fruit. If I don't do that I'm lucky if I get any ripe tomatoes. It is jam-packed for a little while until everything gets turfed out. <laughs> so over here I have a bed of lettuce and then I've got some main crop peas they generally don't make it to the house because someone's always in here you know I've got a little niece and nephew or my two older daughters someone's always in here stealing peas and then I have a courgette and I got uh, these cloches for the first time this year and they've really helped actually because we've had such a cold spring just to sort of cover up my courgettes at night and they're thriving absolutely thriving and then we have onions here that have been in these have been in the ground since the autumn, so garlic and onions I'll pop in. The last thing I do before I kind of chill out for the, the winter is pop those in. And then we have some self-seeded 
sunflowers i think that's from bird seed that i use i think they just kind of drop them wherever they feel which is really lovely i just leave them a really good tip for small gardens i i grow my potatoes in sacks so i just pop three new potatoes or two main crop potatoes in a sack and uh, it's also really good for the short growing season i can start them off in the greenhouse um, because if the frost gets to the foliage it will blacken it and it could kill it so um, you can start it off in the greenhouse in the sacks and just sort of pull them out once the risk of frost has passed so over here i have strawberries so these were new runners that i moved into this bed and then behind there i've got some early peas that are now flowering more courgettes and some spring onions as well and then behind you i've got a bed of flowers and also some strawberry spinach so that was a new one to me in the spinach family you can eat the leaves and then it produces red like berries that look like strawberries and um, once it's bolted and gone to flower and uh, they don't taste like strawberries they're not sweet but they're lovely in salads so that's that's a fun one to grow also to grow with kids as well um, and then i have sweet peas and ranunculus here and then over here we have cabbage and some leeks and i've just left a a path there to sow um, carrots because they're very happy companions together and the smell from the leeks the sort of onion smell will deter the carrot whitefly so they're a fantastic crop to grow together and then I've got more potatoes shallots broad beans I started them off early really early this year as well and they've done so well and I visited a restaurant recently that doesn't actually use the broad beans they just eat the flowers because they taste exactly like the broad beans and you get a more prolific crop and I thought that was absolutely fantastic because when you think about it it's really just sort of hand, a few handfuls of broad beans that you'll get from all of those plants and I think they could even be about 15 or so there but if you just think about the number of flowers it's probably you know handfuls and handfuls and they'll just keep coming and then over here I've got garlic one of my favorite crops to grow the longest to grow that it's in the ground for 10 months um, but I have a hard neck variety there that I make uh, my pesto from so they produce scapes probably in about another four weeks time and they're like gold because they're only there for about like two weeks and the scapes are sort of just the immature flower stalk and you can pop them in a pestle and water with olive oil and some parmesan and it makes the most fabulous pesto but if you don't like the really intense flavor you can sort of blanch them for two to three minutes first in water and then continue and make the pesto so that's a really fun crop to grow as well so what do you do with all your produce is it just for you guys as a family or do you sell it or yeah it actually looks like a lot um but if you think about a family of four it isn't really and um, it'll take us through the year what I can store will take us through the winter so um, I store the garlic and uh, onions I'll just cure them and dry them and store them over the winter and then pumpkins which I'll show you just now also we'll use over winter the new potatoes they're gone by like July <laughs> um, so there isn't actually enough here you'd have to have to be growing on quite a larger scale I think this garden is two acres and I'm growing in a nine meter by nine meter space so realistically it's only going to feed us four <laughs> so this is the uh, potager that we started during lockdown this was our lockdown project that kept us sane so we've got nine beds and the central four beds are more ornamental so I've got alliums and nepeta and babascum and sort of perennial cornflowers and cerium. 
And I'm just sort of adding as the seasons go on. I just want, I, I would love it to be sort of a cloud of alliums at a certain point in the year and then um, more of a cottagey feel after that. And then on the outer beds, I tend to grow vegetables. So I've got a bed of asparagus at the bottom there, potatoes, main crop potatoes in one bed, and I'll put my... Uh, brassicas in this area so if you're looking for jobs for now sow some purple sprout and broccoli and that will do you through the hungry gap next year the hungry gap they say in the sort of gardening world is like sort of march april may when nothing else is growing so if you start them off now purple sprout and broccoli will be ready then and then i'm going to do brussels sprouts for christmas and because i don't eat them any other time of the year <laughs> and uh, cauliflower as well and they'll all go in here um, and i'll have to mesh them because we have as most gardeners do, the cabbage white butterfly that lays its caterpillars throughout them and they love brassicas and there really isn't anything you can do to stop them other than to like fine mesh your plants. Uh, so when will you be planting them? So I'll sow them now, probably within the next week. I'm probably a little bit behind. I usually do them sort of mid-May and then I'll be planting them out probably about eight weeks after that and then I'll mesh them, keep them watered and fed and they'll start to produce crops from sort of the beginning of winter and then all the way through to next spring. So do you find yourself scheduling your social life or holidays around what's going on in the garden so there's not just left? Well, I don't know my husband is. <laughs> yes, I do. I think it was the first or the second year I had to go away. I just sort of started and I was like, I have to leave everything. What's going to happen? And my husband was watering and trying to keep on top of things. But um, And then we also planned a family holiday just as it was sort of early August. And I was like, what am I doing? And thereafter, I thought, I'm not doing that again. Unless you've got lovely neighbours that can come and just look after things for you. You're kind of missing the like the time when everything is being harvested. And it's just absolutely wonderful to be in the garden and see all your success or failures. So, yeah, I do. I do now try and schedule things around sort of growing season. How easy or difficult has it been to get to grips with the schedule of things, you know, things, sowing things, growing things, harvesting things? Is it now second nature or was it quite difficult to kind of get into the swing of it? It was really difficult in the first year. I had all of sort of winter before I started gardening to sort of plan and set up the space and understand sort of the growing cycles of things and, and how it would all fit together. And I think the biggest thing that helped me is I sort of made a plan of all the vegetables that I wanted to grow. I literally made an Excel spreadsheet. I'm that sort of person. And I put in all everything that I wanted to grow when it needed to be sown, whether that was indoors or outdoors, how long it would take to mature and when I'd be harvesting it. And that was the only thing that sort of cleared the path to help me understand like how much time I'm going to have to put in and when and where. It still gets overwhelming though sometimes, don't get me wrong, especially as I move into new things. I'm creating a border over here, sort of a herbaceous border with all perennials and I'm still getting to grips with when things are going to flower and I want I want colour all season long, so what's going to give me that the most? And yeah, it's, it's a continuous learning curve, but I think that first sort of year was the steepest learning curve. So this is my funny little pumpkin patch. I haven't planted anything out yet, but I'm just about to. So I'm planting some squashes and pumpkins that I started from seed and then some that I also bought from the garden centre. I like to try different varieties every year. So I have Crown Prince pumpkin, which looks like a Cinderella pumpkin. It's got a lovely sort of blue skin. And then I have your sort of standard orange ones, jack-o'-lantern. Um, and then I have like a festival squash, which is smaller. If you have a smaller space and you want to grow vertically, a Jilby Little is a great one. A Casparita 
It's like a little white one. There's one called Baby Boo. Many little white pumpkins, really cute. And they all taste great. That's the main thing. And so you can grow those vertically. Here in my little uh, pumpkin bed, I've got beans, corn and pumpkins all kind of really grow well together. I'm also just popping in some snapdragons at the end just because. <laughs> Why not? So when you say seed, do you mean you just take seeds out of pumpkin or buy pumpkin seeds and put them in the ground or is it different? So you can do that. You can harvest a pumpkin, use it, keep the seeds, dry them off and store them. Um, I'd store them in like a little envelope or something and then the next spring sow those. I actually bought seeds for these and I just sow them in nine centimetre pots. The seeds are larger and any larger seed you want to sow it on its side or on edge as they call it just to make sure it doesn't rot off in the soil because water can pull on the top. Then once it's sort of outgrown a nine centimetre pot I like to time it so that I'm not potting them on to the next size of pot but rather that I'm putting them in the ground which just saves me a little bit of time in the garden. Will these be ready in time for Halloween? Yes. <laughs> yes, they will, yeah. So um, some of the smaller varieties are a, a lot faster to mature. Um, and then the larger ones, fingers crossed, if we have a lovely warm summer, they'll be ripe and ready to go probably about the end of September, beginning of October, just before the first frost hits and long before Halloween. So do you have a favourite thing to grow or something that's been the most rewarding? Hey, to begin with, it was garlic because that's one of those crops that you put it in the ground and you have no idea what's going on for 10 months and uh, I, I just found that like kind of nerve-wracking and quite exciting at the same time and I've actually had really good success with garlic so probably that to begin with but now everything everything really just getting crops from peas and beans I, I, I love that and having properly ripe pumpkins at the end of the day that's really satisfying to be able to put them away to store love that also um we have a sort of mini orchard we've got six trees there and having cherries and apples it's just the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> does it feel sort of like life before and after garden like you'll probably have a better appreciation now of what's seasonal and eating seasonally and that kind of thing eating seasonally living seasonally i seem to go with the rhythm of it now as well i'm quite happy to sort of chill out and sit back in winter and do more sort of inside work and it's also quite a busy time for me sewing wise so I'm usually in the studio and then in the spring just that rejuvenation to get back outside and to get stuck in and also over the winter I say that I relax but we generally tend to do kind of our hard landscaping projects then while everything is dormant if if we need um, hedging moved around or fruit trees it's the best time to move them when they're dormant um, or if we want to create new pathways or new borders we generally do that then but I feel like I'm more in tune with the seasons and it's the thing that just keeps you moving forward and looking forward and pulling your mind forward so it's just a real benefit mentally really. Mm. And what's the kid's favourite thing to eat out of the garden? So Mia eats anything. She'll eat spinach, lettuce. Georgia loves the lettuce. She'll come out here and take lettuce for her wraps or radishes. They love that. They love the scapes. And Mia's a really good cook, so she'll make the garlic scape pesto. Anything and everything. Actually, it's really funny. They go around the garden and they make up names for the plants that they don't know. They just, just you know, wander around and they give tours to people and they're like, that's... Da -da -da. They're just making it up, so... They do get involved to a degree, but they're just kind of, they more kind of look from a distance and then grab the peas when they're ready or grab strawberries and disappear again. 
that's nice though it's nice to have that sort of relationship with nature that you don't necessarily always get you know without this happening I'm just very happy that I can show them and teach them where their food comes from Um, and I think that's given them more of appreciation they're very healthy eaters and I'm not forcing anything from them I think the thing is if you bring your kids out to the garden you show them an array of vegetables they're going to choose and they're going to pick something themselves and I'm not having to force it on them Um, my nephew who is renownedly quite picky eater came to the garden he helped himself to the spinach and my sister was blown away <laughs> um but I, he chose it so no one was telling him what to do and i think they like that independence don't they yeah. yeah so this little project was quite a fun one um this used to be a rockery and it was all overgrown and just an absolute nightmare to keep on top of it was just grass growing through it so uh over lockdown my husband actually made steps And I started buying up pots and now I just have so much fun. Uh, Every season just changing up the pots with what's in season. So it used to be all annuals, but now I'm trying to grow more perennial things. I actually have cabbage in there now. And um, I'm often asked why, how everything is not eaten. Because slugs love hostas. They love um, cabbages and why the cabbage white butterfly isn't eating those. But can you see that bird up there? just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. that's a song thrush uh-huh. and because the bird feed is right here they will literally eat from there but also hop between the pots and clean up every little slug and these things are perfect all season long so i think that's my winning recipe for hostas and and sort of uh, anything that loves slugs really put your bird feeder next to your plants and watch them eat them all up that's a good idea yeah yeah so this is just like a little handy bed because it's close to the back door and we just have like a continual supply of um, lettuce and radishes and spring onions and all the herbs and it just it makes it accessible. Um, and I think if you're going to grow anything, grow, grow lettuce because it's the most expensive thing to buy, really. So, uh, yeah, that's a fun thing to have in the garden. So how do you store everything that you don't use? So things like garlic and onions, they probably need close to double digits, sort of eight to 10 degrees to store quite well in really dry conditions. So I store those sort of in our cloakroom area. Um, and then everything else I store in our shed. So it's just a normal eight by six shed and we added insulation. We had leftover from a project, sort of cladded it out and added ventilation as well. And then everything goes in there from dahlias, just wrapped up in newspaper. Um, then we can store apples and crates, uh, carrots and sand, parsnips and sand, um, pumpkins just on uh, the shelf, um, potatoes. Potatoes I store in hessian sacks because they need the dark. Um, but I also have little wooden shutters that I can just pop over the windows as well to make it completely dark inside. And it really is, it is what you call a cold store, sort of that old style cold store where you'd have, you know, all of your sort of goodies for Christmas somewhere or the garage, really. It's sort of the, you could do that in the garage or the porch as well. Um, but you just want to make sure it's an area that stays above freezing anywhere sort of uh, two to seven degrees is really good. You're trying to create a fridge in a natural way and um, I also have like a humidity detector in there but you don't have to worry about humidity in Scotland so as long as it's sort of 80 to 90 percent humidity it's perfect and things will store for months. It's not in storage mode but it's now in flowery mode. 
Oh, it looks lovely though. <laughs> so you've got... So it's where I sow earlier on in the season, in the spring when I really don't want to go up to the kitchen garden, I'll start off seeds in here. And then throughout the summer, it sort of lays a bit empty. And then in the winter, I sort of come in and put my shelving from uh, outside or in the greenhouse back in here, ready to start storing everything again. And I've got some potato baskets over there and then my crates to store all my shallots and garlic and things like that. So you store carrots and parsnips in sand. Is that something that, so I get a veg box from like a local grower. Is that something that everybody should be doing with their carrots and parsnips? No, you don't have to do that. Um, It depends sort of what weather you have, where you live. Um, So if I left them in the bed, after sort of the frost, they get sweeter. The the sort of freezing temperatures make root vegetables sweeter generally. Um, So you can leave them in the ground and harvest them as you need to. Or you can um, store them in a slightly moist sand. It's just a really great growing medium for them to stay as fresh as possible. Yeah. So have you found you've saved money in doing this? Um, I get really annoyed when I have to buy garlic <laughs> or onions or anything like that, yeah. things that I should have. Um, the first sort of two years, I was still kind of getting that right. And I had a gap of about three months when I'd run out. <laughs> and I thought, never again. Um, so now I kind of just make sure I have enough of those main staples to get me through. I am buying things. There's certain things you'll not get away from buying. Um, as I said, I'm only growing in this, this space. I'm not kind of growing anywhere else in the garden yet. Um, so I will run out of things, uh, like potatoes and carrots and things like that. Things just taste better when they're grown from home. Things like strawberries and tomatoes. Tomatoes you can freeze if you've got a nice glut of those. Courgettes, you can make so many things with courgettes. They don't store well, you want to use them when you harvest them, um, but they're lovely to have over the summer months. Um, what else can you store? Peas and beans, things like that, you can blanch and store them in the freezer. Um, garlic, the garlic, if you grow uh, soft neck varieties and you cure them really well, just you want to dry them till that papery skin forms. And you can store them in the right conditions for up to nine months. The same goes for onions, but I would say they're more about six months. And by cure them, do you just mean dry them, like put them somewhere dry to kind of... Yeah, I just mean dry them. So I try and harvest them on a dry day. um, And hopefully the weather forecast is going to be good for the next couple of days. And I might leave them just pulled up, but in the bed for a couple of days. If it's really hot, I'll actually move them somewhere undercover because I don't want them getting scorched or the sort of... um, taste changing because it's, they're too hot and then I'd leave them undercover probably about three weeks somewhere really well ventilated and dry just until as I said that papery skin forms and that's really when they're cured you'll see the the stems start to brown and wither and once they're completely dry I'll sort of braid them I don't think there's anything more satisfying than seeing your braided onions or garlic hanging up in the kitchen yeah so that's really the process of curing it's not it's not difficult so if somebody was wanting to start off or has started off now, what kind of recipes would you recommend that they could take some things from over the summer and then make something with later on? So if you're growing tomatoes and they don't get a chance to ripen in time, so you've got green ones and maybe some that are just on the turn, at the end of the growing season, harvest them all and you can make um, a tomato chutney with them. And as I said, any colour of tomato goes, so they don't have to be fully ripe. And that way you can, it takes, it, the recipe that I've included in the book takes about an hour and a half to make. 
um, but it is just the sweetest, loveliest chutney and you can give it as gifts for Christmas. Um, just make sure that you're storing it in sterilised containers and um, yeah, you can, you'll enjoy that with cheese or whatnot on a platter uh, in, around Christmas time. Um, other things you can do, if you want something a little bit quicker, um, start off some lettuce, spring onions and radish. They're all really quick growers and you have a ready-made salad. Things like that, though, try and do in succession. So maybe sow seeds every couple of weeks so that the crops keep on coming. What else could you do? If you have new potatoes on the go, one of my favourite recipes that's really decadent and just rubbish if you're on a diet is um, our creamy uh, new potato salad. So um, I don't know who made this in my house the first time, but it was um, it's new potatoes, mayonnaise, chives from the garden, and um, also uh, sort of just perfectly boiled eggs and salt cracked back black pepper and it's just mixed all together and it is divine <laughs> absolutely divine there's nothing quite like new potatoes really it's a real treat to have another firm favorite is uh, a strawberry cheesecake so it's a no-bake strawberry cheesecake so it's really really easy to do it's just a biscuit base and then sort of a cream cheese and you can use like branded cream cheese or non-branded doesn't doesn't really matter um, and then we take strawberries from the garden if we have enough that haven't been devoured before they get to the kitchen um, we'll make like a just um, simmer it down and make a coolie with it and then just fresh strawberries on top and it's just so good sounds delicious I'm hungry now <laughs> so this is lovely and it's obviously you've got lots of plans but do you have any plans to add any livestock Yes, I do. Um, again, don't tell my husband. But um, I really would love chickens. Uh, with sort of avian flu and everything that's been happening, I just want to do it in a way that from day one, they are completely undercover but out in the open. So if I did sort of like hardware cloth, like uh, galvanised mesh and created a roofed run, um, that would be ideal with a really cute chicken pen and... Uh, something like that and also I haven't seen any foxes where we are but you know just to make sure that they're safe and protected from day one I would I would love to have maybe four or five chickens laying all different colored eggs that would be that would be fabulous um I don't have space for anything else so a, a goat or a cow or whatever's not on the cards but yeah I'd love chickens and do you have any other future plans so many um We've got a pond in the making at the front. Um, we've sort of just covered it in tarp at the moment to sort of clear the area. I would love a pond because I've seen cranes in the area, huge cranes, and I would love them to be visiting my garden along with ducks and everything else. And up the back of the garden that you can't actually see unless you know it's there, I would love to create a sort of secret garden with sort of a water feature and just a real zen spot to hide out in. There are so many plans with like digging out the courtyard to try and make more of an entertainment space and... Uh, we're rewilding the front lawn to make a meadow so we'll be here for the next 30 years trying to see all those plans through and just finally could you tell us the name of your book and where people can buy it yes the name of my book is growing at greenfields and it's out now you can get it anywhere that you buy books well hopefully we'll be back over the next 30 years to see how you're getting on and hear about your next next book and plans i'll still be here fingers crossed <laughs> thank you very much thanks for having me thank you Thank you so much to Diana for being my guest on this episode and thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Scran. 
Scran is a Lodge of a podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.